Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Boston Sanctuary since 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the Boston metropolitan area and beyond. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. We're located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets in downtown Boston, Massachusetts. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. Dr. King heard an inner voice. Jesus was speaking to him. I believe it. Even as a fourth-generation Unitarian, now Unitarian Universalist, having very little truck with the paranormal, and who, under almost any other circumstances, would say stress, exhaustion, psychosis, I believe it. Jesus spoke to Dr. King. Everything he believed, the guiding light of his words and actions as a civil rights giant, was rooted in his faith in Jesus. There was nothing abstract about their relationship. On January 27, 1956, soon after agreeing to become the spokesman for the Montgomery bus boycott, Dr. King began receiving nightly phone calls from people threatening to kill him and his family. Unable to sleep and tormented by visions of his little girl suffering, he broke down one night. As David J. Garrow writes in Bearing the Cross, it was at that moment, standing in his kitchen, Dr. King heard a voice inside himself telling him to carry on. As he told it, Martin Luther, stand up for righteousness. Stand up for justice. Stand up for truth. And lo, I will be with you. I heard the voice of Jesus, he says, saying still to fight on. He promised never to leave me, never to leave me alone. Three nights later, Dr. King was out at a meeting at church. Coretta, two-month-old Yoki, and parishioner Mary Lucy Williams were at home with them when an explosion rocked the house filling the front room with smoke and shattered glass. Those watching Dr. King as he learned the news were surprised by his calm and steady demeanor. Looking back on it, Dr. King agreed that he had accepted word of the bombing calmly. My religious experience a few nights before, he said, had given me the strength to face it. Dr. King's faith was the foundation of his capacity for his extraordinary life's work. Every moment of the suffering he and his family and followers endured was transmuted in the fire of that faith. Through faith, 
their suffering became vision, tenacity, love. While a relationship to Jesus may and may not be at the heart of your faith or mine, I invite you to join me in a deep consideration and articulation of the faith that sustains us, a faith strong enough to get us through sleepless nights and waking nightmares. How do you complete the sentence, the sentence that begins, I believe? And most importantly, how does each of us live that faith? There is a dynamic tension in Dr. King's faith as there was in that of Jesus. History professor and author William H. Chafe names the tension as an embrace on the one hand of the Christian gospel of unconditional love and on the other hand of the Jewish scripture's prophetic insistence on righteous justice. We don't do Dr. King justice when we speak only of his work for mediation and reconciliation. He said this succinctly. He said, as much as I deplore violence, there is one evil that is worse than violence. Cowardice. To his followers, Dr. King said, it is not enough for us to talk about love. There is another side called justice. Standing beside love is always justice. Not only are we using the tools of persuasion, we have to use the tools of coercion. The tension between unconditional love and righteous justice is the subject of an extraordinary exchange of correspondence in May of 1959 a Mr. Lewis Happ of Brooklyn wrote to Dr. King about his hurt and frustration at reading stories of racist incidents in Montgomery. I begin to read that some injustice has been done to my people, he wrote, and there is absolutely nothing done about it but singing and praying and reading scripture lessons. It just makes my heart ache to see us drift back into slavery again. Here in part is Dr. King's response. Dear Mr. Happ, I can well understand how you feel concerning the situation here in the South, but let me assure you that we are not merely singing and praying about our problems. We are engaged in positive action every day to solve them. I don't think any leader in the South has ever suggested singing and praying as a substitute for positive action, and this is certainly why we are suffering and being brutalized as leaders. If we were passively and silently accepting evil, we would not be facing the condemnation that we are facing today from diehards in the white community. As you probably know, I firmly believe in nonviolence as a way to solve our problem, and I further believe that love must be our guiding ideal. But that does not imply that we are to do nothing. It simply means that we must stand up and resist the system of segregation and all of the injustices that come our way. 
and at the same time refuse to hate our opponents and use violence against them. But I still believe with Jesus that he who lives by the sword will perish by the sword. And he who hates does as much harm to himself as to the person he hates. In his 1963 letter from a Birmingham jail, written to moderate white clergymen who were pleading with him for patience and a calming of the waters, Dr. King wrote, you are quite right in calling for negotiation. Indeed, this is the very purpose of direct action. Nonviolent direct action seeks to create such a crisis and foster such a tension that a community that has constantly refused to negotiate is forced to confront the issue. It seeks so to dramatize the issue that it can no longer be ignored. My citing the creation of tension as part of the work of the nonviolent resistor may sound rather shocking, but I must confess that I am not afraid of the word tension. I have earnestly opposed violent tension, but there is a type of constructive nonviolent tension which is necessary for growth. And then he rises to the moment of reckoning. He says, I must make two honest confessions to you, my Christian and Jewish brothers. First, I must confess that over the past few years, I have been gravely disappointed with the white moderate. I have almost reached the regrettable conclusion that the Negro's great stumbling block in his stride toward freedom is not the white citizen's counselor or the Ku Klux Klaner, but the white moderate who is more devoted to order than to justice, who prefers a negative peace, which is the absence of tension, to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice. Shallow understanding from people of goodwill is more frustrating than absolute misunderstanding from those of ill will. Lukewarm acceptance is much more bewildering than outright rejection. I preached last Sunday morning about integrity. Integrity as living undivided, without regret. Dr. King's integrity, his profound answer to the call of his faith, compelled him to forge inextricable links among racial justice, economic justice, and peace. He said we are engaged in a social revolution. The evils of racism, economic exploitation, and militarism are all tied together, and you can't really get rid of one without getting rid of the others calling for basic structural changes in the architecture of American society, he insisted that a just society required a radical redistribution of economic and political power. Taking a position against the Vietnam War was costly in every way, but his faith demanded it compelled by his religious convictions to the life of a prophet, 
Dr. King was hounded mercilessly by J. Edgar Hoover and the FBI, which sent him tapes they had made illegally documenting his sexual infidelities, along with a letter suggesting he commits suicide. Mitigating the depression that threatened to overtake him, though, was that inner voice he had heard in the kitchen, a voice that sent him to Memphis to advance the call of the striking sanitation workers, part of the Poor People's Campaign to which he was devoted, a voice that gave him the courage to continue standing up for love and justice all the way home. Well, I don't know what will happen now. This is Dr. King on April 3rd, 1968, speaking on the evening before his assassination. We've got some difficult days ahead, but it really doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop, and I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place but I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up on the mountain and I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know that we, as a people, will get to the promised land. Beloved spiritual companions, let us honor Dr. King. May ours, too, be a faith articulated with our lives. May ours, too, be a faith that embraces both unconditional love and righteous justice, with justice always standing beside love. May ours, too, be a faith that transmutes suffering into vision, tenacity, and love. <laughs>